2, Seven Heads, Ten Horns, with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens. This is the second part of our conversation with Dr. Akash Kumar on Dante's Inferno. Where we left off was a discussion of the fallen angels at the gates of Dis. We pick up with a discussion of other places where fallen angels make their appearance and influence the events of Dante's Inferno. Thanks for listening. Hope everyone's having a safe, enjoyable holiday season, and we'll catch you in the new year. The fallen angels are are sort of in the background in this scene. So yeah, what's another part, Akash, where the the fallen angels uh, enter the action and, and sort of take on more of a personality? Yeah, absolutely. So when we when we get into the eighth circle, and the eighth circle of hell uh, is by far the biggest one in Dante's Inferno. It's devoted to fraud, but it's divided up in these ten pouches of of different kinds of fraud. So right, interesting that Dante was so very taken with this idea of fraud that he went on and on about it for a majority very of, of Inferno. Very yeah. thorough. Very thorough. So so when we get into the pouch that is devoted to uh, political bribe-taking, again, that's the, the crime that Dante himself was accused and convicted of and the pretext for his exile from Florence. Uh, when we get into this uh, pouch where uh, these bribe-takers are punished by being immersed in black pitch and uh, poked and prodded by demons with pitchforks, right? So this is that they going much more stereotypical, much more, much more popular medieval in, in depicting his, his devils with wings and, and pitchforks and things like that. And he's really kind of having some fun in this moment. I mean, uh, all of these individuals, this band of demons uh, have you know, funny names. So the leader is called Malakoda, Evil Tail. The, the uh, you know, various other, other names that, that have this kind of comic resonance. So it's kind of interesting, right? Dante's kind of going away of processing his trauma, maybe of, of political exile, and doing so by making jokes about it. Uh, so this this band of of devils is is someone that is unfortunately uh, a band that Virgil chooses to put his trust in uh, and says, "All right, you can you can lead the way." Right? Malakoda says, "I I know how to take you to where you want to go," and Virgil believes that. And and then they realize that they're being led astray and they have to make a jailbreak. They have to they have to run uh, and and escape from this band of demons. So. That, that is a moment kind of that is most the most fleshed out uh, that we have throughout Inferno of uh, how these uh, of how these fallen angels are are represented and it is Dante going in the in the popular direction as opposed to his usual let me dress this up by dropping a, a greco-roman name or two and this is another example of like the limits of Virgil right where he was pretty good he was pretty reliable through the first stages of the journey, but like he's starting to run into some situations that trip him up 
And right. I guess there's sort of like an allegorical way to sort of describe or encapsulate that as like the sort of the, the limits of of pre-Christian wisdom and, and rationality versus vis-a-vis yeah. faith or vis-a-vis doctrinal teaching or, or, or something like that. Yeah. And there are there are actual jokes that are made at Virgil's expense uh, in, in this regard. So there are jokes made about this, the Malebranque, the band of demons. Malacoda, who's kind of likened to their to their general, signals the departure of, of his band by making a trumpet out of his ass, and that is explicit, that. vulgar language mm-hmm. that, that yep. they uses yep. uh, in, in Inferno 21. And then when when they finally manage to escape from uh, the demons that are pursuing suing them, Dante and Virgil find themselves among the hypocrites. And among the hypocrites are these two friars that that they meet and they talk to. And and the friars point out to them that, no, you just have to go this way and you'll get to where you need to go. And Virgil all of a sudden realizes that he's been fooled. He's been lied to by Malakoda, by these demons. And so he says, oh, uh, the, the demon over there must have, uh, must have told me a lie then, must have deceived me. And the friar responds saying, I've heard it said in Bologna that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And the reason he says Bologna is because he's from Bologna, but he's also making a joke that the University of Bologna is the most well-known, prominent university uh, in this cultural moment, and he's making a joke that you don't need a university education, you shouldn't need a university education to know that devil's lie. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, like, I do think about this as a video game, and I like the mini-bosses, and most of them do have a kind of Greco-Roman provenance. We, You know, the Minotaurs here, Mino, Cerebrus, uh, Geryon, Caucus. A personal favorite comes a little bit earlier before the City of Dis, which is the the demon of, of Plutus. He is in the hoarder uh, spendthrift zone where people are, are wasting things or people are trying to hoard things uh, around or also around gluttony. And they sort of stumble upon this monster. And I just I just really love the language and, and the sort of humor of it strikes me as humorous. I'm not sure if there's actually is anything funny about it. You can tell me. They come upon him and he's sort of like speaking in this like babbling nonsense language. He goes, Papa Satan, Papa Satan, Aleppe, Aleppe. You know, he's sort of like a Star Wars alien or something in most likely. Yeah. And so Pluto's clucked and stuttered in his rage and my all-knowing guide to comfort me, do not be startled for no power of his, however he may lord it over the damned, may hinder your descent through this abyss. And turning to the carnival of bloat cried, Peace, you wolf of hell. Choke back your bile and let its venom blister your own throat, and that with that, Plutus just collapses into the into dead clay. <laughs> it just it, it is like sort of like Virgil as Gandalf again, where he just has like these like booming like retorts to these monsters. You wolf of hell! You know, it's it's I just I just really <laughs> yeah. love that. But again, like this sort of like the demons have this sort of secret language that Virgil like can sort of make out that is just like a, a mess for Dante. Yeah, and again, it's it's that they experimenting with with other languages too, right? So taking yeah, taking yeah. taking Plutus as the as the right. Greek god of wealth and and putting words in his mouth that seem to be like a mix of Greek and maybe Hebrew, right? Aleppe seems yeah. to be like Aleph or yeah. something like that, right? So th- this way that Dante has of just kind of showing a, a certain kind of cross cultural awareness and thinking about how to how to make this make poetry out of it, uh, but. You know, this this circle, uh, right, of the hoarders and wasters is also one of those moments that is most Aristotelian, right? It's it's where we can see that Aristotelian concept most clearly because 
the implication, we, we have two groups of, of sinners instead of one, right? And, and the implication is that there's such a thing as being too much of a hoarder of, of you know, keeping everything and not spending. And there's such a thing as being too, as being too much of a waster and, and spending everything you've got. And so the virtue is in the middle, right? It, this isn't kind of a, a Franciscan ideal of, of poverty. Uh, it's not that extreme, right? It's, it's you know, responsible money spending, responsible wealth management yeah. is kind of the message that comes through here. He's like from a respectable sort of bourgeois family of like the yeah, state. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's like right. He's not, he's not about that exactly. poverty. He's like, no, we need we need to have the res publica, but you need the res to have the publica. You know, like that's, that's right. That's right. Thing, you know? yeah. yeah. The language thing. I wanted to wonder about fallen angelic languages and thinking about them that way because we have. I mean, let's just take this to. American Pentecostalism and the interpretation, the speaking of angelic languages um, and the interpretation of them and how we, we have a kind of fun um, analog to that here with a demonic orkish. language, orkish. That, yeah. which is, yeah. is, there you go. There you it's go. orcish. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the other analog here is, is when we get all the, almost down to the bottom, when we get to Nimrod, uh, who's among yeah. the giants, right. And, and Nimrod too speaks a kind of babble, right. So, Kind of the conflation of, of Nimrod tower the hunter with the with the Tower of Babel, right? Which was a yeah, which yeah. was a medieval yeah. mainstay, um, yeah. and and yeah. the same thing, right? I mean, we have kind of Dante experimenting with other languages, other sounds, and Virgil saying he's accusing himself, right? He he doesn't make sense because that is the punishment of a fallen language. On the other hand, there is something kind of there, right? At, at the core of what Nimrod is saying, there are kind of ways in which we can see Dante experimenting with other sounds and making making kind of poetry out of them and, and thinking about translation, right? So one of the rhyme words that's dropped there is salmi, psalms, and, and Dante's meditated before about the psalms and how they're being read in translation, obviously. And the first time that the psalms were translated, they lost all of their sweetness, right? So there's this way of kind of thinking about how do you get back to the roots? How do you get back to original language? And, uh, and, and really think about that a little bit more. What if we talk about Geryon next? Do we want to, to go there in Canto uh, 15? Um, so we're in fraud, fraudville, fraudland. We're, we're going to get to fraudland. Um, Garyan's going to actually take us, take us we're to fraudland. Oh, <laughs> uh, right, right. He's our he's our vehicle, right? Um, the Garyan um, flight yeah. to the Garyan Express, the Trump shuttle to yeah. fraudville. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're um, we've got a monster, and we've got this interesting sort of fusiony figure who has a serpent body. Hairy paws, a human face, face, a scorpion-like tail, wearing some sort of like coat of yeah. many colors. It's like very pretty or interesting looking. Um, I'm curious. I kind of want want one for Christmas is coming. I'm accepting gifts of a coat of many colors. So please um, send that along. And it surpasses this whatever he's this garment he's wearing surpasses even Arachne's <laughs> weaving. I mean, like we got to go full Greek mythology here to really get this this vision of this creature and it's a border creature again we have this i mean not only in the you know composition of these sort of different parts but also in that garyon stands partly on the sand partly in stone um as a kind yeah. of border figure tell us more talk more um klaus had a 
a note about Garyon from John Chardi. Um, I'm just making up what language that last name is in. I'm going to, so I'm to assume you're right. That's what there. we're doing today. But anyway, um, the editor, translator John Chardi, says that Garyon as a name is a mythical king from Spain who gets killed by Heracles. Uh, my, my children listen to Greek podcasts or podcasts about Greek mythology, and so they get really upset if anyone says Hercules instead of Heracles because they're like, they're, <laughs> That's awesome. they're really just like diehards. But anyway, so I'll, I'll say Heracles. They're being and, raised right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Love it or leave it, you know, in terms of Greek mythology. But uh, and so he's like this figure who is like this greedy king who's got cattle and who kills strangers and guests in his lands. And so that's why Dante is uh, sort of taking him on as the prototype of fraud in terms of like his uh, sort of bait and switch, like I'm your host, but I'm killing you kind of thing. Like, what, you know, like sort of the a lot of myths and, and then a lot more to be said about this in, in later stages of the, of the poem about like betraying your obligations as a host is like one of these just like, like horrific yeah. sins in, in, in this, in this, in this poem. And the strange, like multi structured form is another embodiment of, 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 of fraud in that there's like, there's a lot of shady different manifestations going on here. Uh, Chardy links this to the strange monsters from the book of revelation, um, nine verses nine, uh, chapter nine verses nine through 20, which is when, uh, the pit is opened up from the fallen star and Abaddon, who's like, not like on the bad guy side, but is like a scary angel, is letting up these like giant like like locusts who have the uh, who have these like strange bodies and like the hair of like a woman and and like they're like lions and they like torture people and so uh, there's like all of this imagery that sort of ties into apocalyptic traditions and particularly Revelation uh, and then finally he notes that the gaudily spotted body suggests the leopard we didn't even talk about the three beasts at the beginning of the, of the poem but you know whatever and there's you know there's three monsters three animals that chase dante through the forest and you know until he sets on his way to hell and um the lion and the human face represents the essentially human nature of fraud um and so yeah that was charney's note on this for this very strange flying like i remember just reading it for the first time being like wow like you get to it's like, like climbing onto the back of a dragon and flying down yeah. to a pit. The, the imagery, like, I can almost feel like a roller coaster. Like, yeah. you're sort of oh, yeah. tipping forward. You have this like, sort of nausea, like this sort of, like, you know, feeling of vertigo as you're going down on a flying animal into the depths. It's like, it is like, the, the language is very, is very, like, sort of bodily affecting in that way. It absolutely is. And, so, yeah. and the, yeah, I mean, again, so I mean, I think, yeah, I think Charlie makes some good points there. We can even add that this is kind of like a, a, uh, an evil perverted version of of something that was a mainstay of of the gospel writers being assigned certain certain beasts yeah. right so that you've got the lion you've got the face of a man right so you can kind of think you can think about right, how this yeah. is cobbled together yeah. in in a variety of ways um and but this is really kind of dante taking advantage of uh, a moment in Virgil where Jerrion is called triple-bodied and all of a sudden Dante's like, oh, I can take that and really run wild with it and, mm. and be, be really inventive and creative. And and thinking about, as you said, this kind of embodiment of fraud, right? What are you? I, I can't tell 
who you are and what you are. And it's not just that, that Jared has the face of a man, it's that he has the face of a just man, right? So this, yeah. this semblance, this appearance of, of being just and righteous or someone I can trust, right, is, is something that's really emblematic to this idea of fraud. And, and then you have the scorpion tail, which is the exact opposite. Like at the, at the back end, you have this dangerous tail. And yeah. it's another moment of like sort of tenderness between Virgil and the pilgrim because Virgil is like, I'm going to sit between you and the tail so you don't get stung by it. And like, then right. again, we have this sort of like protector figure, uh, even though he's not getting, he's not calling all the balls and strikes when it comes to dealing with the demons. Like he still is like an effective advocate and protector and, and guide for, for the pilgrim. I will be your protector figure. You won't get stung by the scorpion. <laughs> right. That's, I'm pretty sure that's of part of the soundtrack. It, it totally to is. <laughs> so, I mean, the other thing about Jerry, like you know, that announces his his kind of uh, appearance is is the end of Inferno sixteen, uh, with where Dante actually names his poem for the first time. He he names it Comedia, and the way that he does that is is he m- makes this kind of outrageous proclamation. Uh, he says that. You know, usually when an individual is uh, confronted with or in possession of a truth that seems like a lie, uh, they should be silent, right? They should be silent because they're they're going to they're going to be judged as untrustworthy or you know you're you're actually yeah. full of it. And, right. and but Dante says here I can't be silent. I have to tell you what I saw. And this, <laughs> and then and then he and then he says you know this, and then Jerrion comes up and we have that elaborate description. But he says. I swear that what I saw was true. I swear it by the notes of this my comedy, right? So he's swearing that that his uh, his vision is true, that what he's saying is true by the very poem that he's writing, and that's you know Dante being full of himself, but also continuing to to ask us to read him in a certain way and and force us into these positions of do we believe this? Do we not? What what are the rules? How do we how do we evaluate and interpret what we're seeing and coming away with something at the end of the day and it reminds me it reminds me of something because you could see it as like it's like what what you're saying it's like it's basically elaborate question begging it's like well i'm writing this and i my my sort of authority is the fact that i've been writing all this and it's really great and i've been writing it so like i swear like it's like a reporter like i it's all in the notes it's all in my notebook it's all (laughs) my notebook and 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 but the, this reminds me of some of the earliest apologetics for the Quran, which was like, well, like this is really beautiful. Like there's nothing, there's never, you've never heard anything like this before. Like that, like right. the force, like its aesthetic force is like a proof for its its authority. And it's yeah. sort of that's if you want to sit, you want to read Dante as not just being question begging and, and sort of. I think that's what he's sort of doing. He's like, like, well, this has been pretty great so far, right? So why don't you keep trusting me? You know, you know, like, yeah, we've come this far together. You know, yeah. So we're in Canto 27. Can you orient us a little bit to what which area of hell we're in? Because I definitely forgot. Are we in, we're in the, the, the great fraud section? We are. We're in the eighth circle. No. And we are in the pouch that is devoted to fraudulent counselors. So people who give fraudulent advice. <laughs> so we have this Franciscan guy who's caught up in politics somehow, right? Never and happened giving before. Advice. Never happened um, before. And, <laughs> right, it's That's never right. happened before. You know, he dies and he's like going to presumably go to go to heaven, but there's a dispute over his soul. So uh, tell us more, Akash. Give us a little bit more of the details here. What's interesting to you about this, this particular yeah. figure? 
um, in the political scene, the fact that he is a cleric and, you know, what does that tell us about as we back up and think about Inferno and actually the entire Divine Comedy, the placement of people who are, I mean, even popes, right? They kind of, we have men of the cloth who are sort of throughout. Um, how would we think about that as one context for where Guido ends up? And then also this dispute between angel and demon over his yeah, soul. How absolutely. does this all come so, about? So Guido de Montefeltro is, uh, was a, uh, a power player uh, in, in the politics of, of the Italian region of Romagna. Uh, he, was, he was a big shot. He was a ruler. Uh, and then, as, as many people did at the time, he, he repented and became a Franciscan and thought that he was doing everything right, that he was going to end up saved uh, as a result of that. That, w- that would have been fine. But someone came to see him, uh, and that someone was a pope, Pope Boniface VIII. Boniface wanted some military advice from him. And, bon- and, and this was military advice because Boniface wanted to, to take a city, and, uh, and, and Guido was already, already in on the secrets of said city, so he was able to provide that perfect strategy that that Boniface could use. Uh, but of course, that was a betrayal. And, and so Boniface said, don't worry, I am going to absolve you of, of this sin. I have the power to do that. And so you can rest assured that your soul will still be saved uh, when you come to the end of your life. So Guido gives him the advice. Boniface goes off and, and does what he does, takes the city. Guido dies and and this is Guido recounting his story in Inferno 27, uh, and he says, and, and then uh, St. Francis came for my soul, and, and yet Francis wasn't able to take my soul because a black angel also came and said, oh, no, 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 he cannot possibly be absolved of that sin. You can't repent before committing the sin itself. That would re- render the repentance null and void. You can't be absolved of something before you've done it. That is the law of non-contradiction, this black angel says. <laughs> so you've got an angel logician. And by the way, check out Salvador Dali's illustration of, of the devil logician. And I think you'll, you'll have your mind sufficiently blown. Uh, but the, the black angel says... Perhaps you didn't think that I was a logician. So we've just come off of thinking about the University of Bologna and Virgil being told that, hey, the devil is a father and a liar and the father of lies. You don't need a university education to know that. Maybe you do need a Bologna education to know about the law of non-contradiction. Uh, but that's exactly what this black angel says uh, to Francis and uses it to say, no, no, Guido is coming down to hell with me. Uh, and Francis, you're going to have to settle for someone else. Yeah, it's so good right there. The idea of like how divine judgment plays out as it, it feels different from other depictions that we have. So um, is it Minos who does the tail thing right. with the number of circles oh, and is yeah. like assigning you yeah. where you go? Um, so we've got that as one sort of figure of how this go- this comes about. But here we have like a saint, I mean, Frank, right? Yeah. Frank's great. Um, we've got St. Francis. We've got this, um, yeah, awkward. Awkward that the, the, the cherub is black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you awkward. see that. That's a thing you see. But yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a pattern. I would say. Yeah, would indeed. <laughs> indeed. It is. Okay. And this dispute and the appeal to 
the appeal to logic where would we how would we situate that in a larger context of dante's attitude toward education learning university etc i'm really interested in that and that um it's a it's a disputatio perhaps between a saint who isn't known for being super no. well educated bless him right yeah. simple francis fancy family not fancy no. education and this idea that the devil that the kind of devil wins by out philosophizing yeah. yeah. perhaps critique of the that's, franciscans that's hot but, they, but then they become like there's obviously like really elaborate franciscan theology so it's not as if the whole yeah that's right. can be like, <laughs> right. hard that way right. but, um i'm also thinking about like how francis like in certain like franciscan angelologies where like francis becomes like the the the, the, the angel who replaces lucifer and the, uh. the sort of the angelic the celestial hierarchy and to which case I'd be like, couldn't he have just been like, yo, like professor, like study halls over, like just I'm taking the soul. And I'm all, That's like, right. It's know, mine. Just, just deal yeah. with it. Like, you know, like yeah. I'm an archangel here, dude. Like, but yeah, it's not yeah. the way it works. No. And I mean, it's, it's really, it's really something right. Where Dante's kind of staging this scene. And I mean, you know, Dante never had a university education himself. He was well read. He, he certainly studied yeah. uh, in the ways Auto-dynamic. that he could. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But but he did yeah he didn't have a Bologna education and and he 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 knows his logic really well though and it's interesting that he's giving it to uh, to to the devil and not to an angel right and so I think there's a way in which you have this kind of constant interest uh, and focus on the part of Dante in thinking about how to make the the abstract stuff the the philosophical stuff. Um, actually grounded in in reality, the realities of, of, of social standing, of education, and 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 real world stuff, and and that all all kind of plays its part in this really dramatic scene. But of course, it's also just a way to once again make Boniface the villain of all of Inferno, right? So Boniface has his hands everywhere. Dante actually mis you know stages it in Inferno nineteen where. He's mistaken for Boniface himself because that gives uh, Dante the opportunity to say that I know for sure, for a fact, that Boniface is going to be damned to hell. He is going to be damned right above uh, this simoniac pope that I'm talking to, Nicholas III, in, in this pouch that's devoted to simony, right? The, the selling of spiritual goods for profit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Inferno, Inferno 27, Guido is just yet another way to show Boniface up and uh, make sure that we as readers are going to hate that guy. I hate him. I hate um, him. Fun, hate him. Angel. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whew. Yeah. I'm, same, same, Avi. Same. Um, let's play, let's play Angelology, um, one of my favorite games. So you were saying, Klaus, this idea that in the Franciscan tradition, there is this idea that, um, Francis in heaven takes the place, um, the highest place of the angel next to God, which is the one that Lucifer once occupied. But, um, you know, yeah. we all know how that story ends, um, with a lot of ice. Anyway, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have a it's podcast. Like, we're going to get to all of it. Much, <laughs> right. Exactly. Good, good point. Um, but let's talk about ranks of angels um, in the Franciscan tradition, because you, you have the, it's a seraph, the yeah. right? No, yes, it's a seraph in the sky, right? Um, who is also Jesus. And we have all the, the rays, the stigmata. The, yeah. uh, so once upon a time, I did a terrible job of translating a um, an Italian article on 
the stigmata and the rays were different colors and whether they crossed or not was like really important between the angel and as they travel down to the depiction of Francis. Anyway, fun times. I learned all sorts of vocabulary I did not know. Probably did a terrible job. So the point here is that we've got the the seraph association and seraphs are, according to um, Pseudo-Dionysius and the traditions that follow, I think seraphs are higher than cherubs, um, which are, right? Um, In any case, fun to think about why the rank of this particular um, demon is a black cherub as opposed to something else and that through logic the black cherub wins the fight with the seraphically associated saint Um, that's all Um, thank you everyone for coming to this uh, round of Angelology everyone's favorite (laughs) game show this week on Angelology Um, (laughs) yeah no I know it's um, and how many can dance on the head of it? <laughs> Never mind. Um, that's that debate is pretend. Also, P.S. Um, didn't happen. Um, but let's talk. I think I want to let's talk about uh, possession, right? I mean, come on. I feel like it's time. Do we all? Unless anyone has any more favorite moments, I think we should turn to Canto yeah, Thirty Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, right, it's, cool. a good t- it's a good time to talk about possession. Um, we are deep. We're deep, deep, deep in there compound fraud and we have the case of let me just get my bearings here your bear <laughs> your bearings with alberigo de manfredi wow wow he yeah. he went there that's that's unfortunate that's i'm sorry to everyone yeah so we're looking at moments of fraud and treachery treachery to one's country and treachery to ghosts to to ghost treachery to ghosts yeah treachery to to guests ghost treachery guest was above host so I read it as ghost um, <laughs> and so there's like the famous case of Count Ugolino which is so much of a bummer that I'm not even gonna get into it right now and then there's another we, we're dealing with like these these bodies that are suspended in ice right and like depending on how worse how bad the fraud was like your face is covered or it's not covered. And the pilgrim bumps into Fra Alberghi. I'm sorry, Italian speaking people. I don't know. Fra Alberigo, uh, my favorite Fra. Uh, and he can't <laughs> sob and cry anymore because his, the tears are frozen over his eyes. And so he wants Dante to wipe away the tears so he can cry. And in, in sort of, in exchange, he'll pass on some of his demonological knowledge. And in terms of the details, uh, the historical details, is is Fra Alberigo one of the people that Dante knows is still alive and he's confused by his presence there? Is that, that's that's the reason? So yeah, he recognizes this person. He's like, well, aren't you still alive? And yeah. that's, and this is this is the deal, right? That well, I'll explain why you think I'm still alive, but I'm stuck here in a pond up to my eyeballs crying all the time and the tears are freezing. And it turns out if you are... At such a level of, of fraud, it's such a level of sin that your body will remain intact. But the moment at which Atropos, the, the you know the the Greek you know being that that uh, cuts the the cord of life, like kills you, your your soul will descend, and they will almost in a way reminiscent of Twin Peaks, they will send like an evil doppelganger demon to to inhabit your body. And so it's like the end of Twin Peaks season two when Dale Co- when evil Dale Cooper comes out. That's basically what we're talking about here. It's, it's evil Dale Cooper, evil, evil Fra, evil Fra, Fra A. So yeah, like, so just a, just a wild moment where we, we're, we're, 
we're become familiar with the fact that Dante's like, not only do I know that my worst, like my least favorite pope is, is going to be in hell for forever, people I don't like aren't even themselves, but are demons because these people are actually damned in hell because I saw them there because I wrote this great book. You see how pretty it is? That's how I know they're in hell. People I don't like, you think they're still alive, but they're actually just demons possessing them. Like, wow, like just what, what, a, what an incredible weapon, for, you know, to, to be able to wield. Yeah. He's like, well, everyone I don't like is actually not that person. It's, just they're, they're yeah, it's truly, yeah. truly wild. I mean, what's really, you know, so this is this is the, the worst of the worst, right? This is the ninth circle. It's, it's a kind of fraud, right? But it's betrayal as the worst possible kind of fraud, uh, the worst of, of, of all possible things. Uh, and... Right, so betrayal is a dish best served cold, if you will. Uh, so right, there's and, the, the, and it is, yeah, and it is, and it is. Uh, but but really, I mean, right, this this kind of notion that Dante comes up with of of zombies running around <laughs> possessed by by demons uh, because they've gone one bridge too far, right? They've they've done the unforgivable, the thing that you just can't possibly come back from. Right, so in this case, it's a betrayal of hospitality, and that certainly tells you a lot about, you know, the Mediterranean culture that Dante is writing. Mediterranean in. And, virtues, yeah. Yeah, that is that is still absolutely current as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you can never violate hospitality, uh, but yeah. but but really, I mean, right? This is this is Dante crossing every every single barrier that he's not supposed to cross, right? He's, I mean. It's one thing for him to have set to have like staged a scene in Inferno 19 where he gets mistaken for Boniface and then therefore implies that Boniface is going to be coming soon after he dies to uh, to that pouch uh, and and buried head first and and his feet are going to get burned because he's a terrible pope and and all of that right so that's that's kind of by implication by the time we get here to Inferno 33 with Fra Alberigo. There's no pretense anymore, right? Dante is saying the, the guy running around up there is, is a possessed body and the soul is already here uh, at the bottom of the universe, right? Flouting every single theological rule possible, right? You've got to have a chance until the end. <laughs> until the end of your life, you've got to have a chance to repent. You've got to be able to, to, to come back uh, in one way or another. Not, not the case for these guys. Also, just like an amazing moment is that like the whole deal was that Dante was going to wipe away some of the tears so he could keep crying. And then he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do <laughs> it. I'm not going to do he's it. Like, he's like, I did not keep the promise I made for to be rude to him was courtesy. And it was yeah. just like one of these like ice cold moments on Dante's part. And I definitely always have students who, who are like the parts where he sees people and he like kicks them off the boat and the guy gets torn apart. Like the moments where like he goes like full ham and just like, like, like we go to evil mode Dante and he's just yeah. like yeah I'm just like I'm just messing with people now like you're frozen yeah. in the yeah, space yeah. fuck you you know <laughs> right and so, and so he becomes a traitor himself right I mean that's the thing right where you get you get various moments throughout Inferno where that where Dante is going to do terrible things right or think terrible yeah. things say terrible things and, and you know you always got to kind of ask what is this journey doing to you right I mean how how you know terrible and corrupt are you becoming in this process of seeing what you're seeing of seeing these awful things of knowing about these awful individuals and that's you know it, you're not judging from on high you're you're right down there in the thick of it and you're doing you're doing terrible things yourself right so part of the rest of the poem is is going to be how is it that Dante gets 
himself back? How does he get his humanity back after having gone through the hell that he's gone through? Wiping away tears from eyes is strikes me as particularly biblical, a biblical image from Revelation. This this is this is a vision of the afterlife, but not this part of the afterlife, y'all. <laughs> Other department, right? When your tears get wiped away, that's how you know you're in heaven. That's like that's the good place. Um, when tears are being wiped away, death is no more, etc. And and here, so that refusal to me feels like him being, you know, super orthodox and all of the things, right? And his theology, like, no, 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 it's inappropriate for me yeah. to wipe your tears. Is it appropriate um, to lie? This I mean... question, I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I, well, yeah, exactly. Oh, hey, girl, what? He's, he's, he's doing fraud. He, you know, we got a spot in the ice bath right here, you know, like... Yeah. But that brings up the question, like, what is the... Like, in this universe, what does it mean to punish? Because getting back to this divine love, like, helps create the hell as a place I and mean, but also the fall of lucifer so there's that but um um creating the space at least but that that justice but also love creates this whole system makes me wonder okay for the let's go to those pitchfork demons right the most traditional image that we have that shows up that we've that we've mentioned what is the what is the the action of punishment um mean in the moral universe of Dante at this point, such that can he kick people off the boat and have them torn apart? Can he lie to them, spit in their faces? Um, what's the what's the weight of any action in this like funny space where he's a pilgrim? That's super unclear to me, but a very interesting yeah. question, at least. If I do since I posed it, I'm gonna go ahead and say it's a great question. <laughs> oh, I totally great agree. job, Travis. But but it is it is listen, I mean he's he's racking up a bill that is going to come due. You know, there I mean the the things that he's doing, the the ways that he is behaving, uh, he's gonna have to go when when we get to purgatory, he's gonna have to go through the terraces himself, he's going to actually have to go through that process of purgation himself. He's going to kind of suffer along the way, you know, to, to ascend to the heights of the mountain and then be able to go to paradise afterwards. So right, up until this point, all in, in all of Inferno, I mean, he's been the voyeur, he's been, he's been able to do what he wants, essentially, and uh, kick people off the boat and refuse to wipe tears away. And, and he's suffered along the way too, right? He gets you know, painful prophecies of his exile and, and things that are going to happen to him and his family. And he like, he, he faints, faints all the time. time. Right? It's, it's a it's hard, hard thing sometimes. It's very hard for him. But like it, when, when purgatory comes, he's actually going to have to, you know, not be able to just be judging from on high and looking from on high. He's going to be involved. He's going to be actually going through all of these, uh, these, these purgatorial punishments from one terrace to another until he is deemed worthy enough to walk through fire and get to earthly paradise. Um, I want to return to zombies briefly just to say this idea that you're being inhabited by a demon um, really kind of makes a mess of free will. And I was trying to think of theological antecedents to that idea of what happened, like, are there times in which because you've committed such a sin that you that you have sacrificed your own free will. And the one that first came to mind, and Klaus may have better examples, was I think this is Gregory of Nyssa that I'm remembering, who is talking about the problem of Pharaoh and the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh um, in um, the life of Moses, probably. Um, and this idea that basically, if you keep choosing evil again and again, you habituate yourself such that you have 
freely chosen to abnegate your own free will. Um, but I'm not sure that you have a direct analog here, which is, I, I think he's, it's, it's a clever attempt at a solution, yeah. but um, to explain away this verse that seems like Pharaoh has lost free will and that seems wrong. And that's also the, um, that's, that's the explanation that's for all. why the demons are locked into damnation, that they are habituated right. and that right. they can't actually choose the good anymore. They, they, in the, in principle, in the beginning they could have, but they, they keep, it, it's, it's, it's mutually reinforcing. So yeah, it's the same. It's the same logic as, as the demons, as with with Pharaoh, which is an Adam Kotzko point. In, anyway, uh, yeah. Hey, rather than giving it all away and talking about the big boss, we want to keep everyone on the edge of their seats so that for our next episode, you will hear us discussing the big boss himself, Lucifer, Satan, the father of all lies. I know we're all really excited about our frozen, hairy backed. Um, uh, center of the world figure um, that we can climb on. So let's climb on to that next time. Uh, thank you so much to Akash for joining us for this uh, amazing and fun romp through hell. Let's do it again sometime. We'll also be talking in a future episode about love, about gender, about sex, about sexuality. And we're going to go right back into some of the greatest hits of Inferno. So don't miss it. Um, and thank you so much for joining us, Akash. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Uh, with that, thanks for listening. See you next time. This pod is made possible by support from the Satanic Ward, Asmodeus, Mammon, Leviathan, Beelzebub, and listeners like you. Thank you. Thank you.